welcome to the Project Tempest podcast, where we talk with creators about their journeys, struggles, and inspirations. My name is CJ, and we're joined again by Simon Pullman, who is an entertainment attorney based in New York, doing a lot of amazing work in TV, film, podcasting, and who is fascinated by all things interactive. Simon, welcome. Hello. Thank you for, for, having, me, uh, for having me back. This is going to be great. Now, there's a lot of things that I'm really interested in talking about. I'm fascinated in your impressions of South by Southwest. We probably might talk about NFTs, the intersection of Hollywood and games, but there's a much more important issue far in front of that, Simon. Elden Ring, the psychological journey that is destroying a generation. Everyone we've had on the podcast this year has had their own interaction with Elden Ring. How is yours going? It's in. It's interesting because you say destroying a generation, but... Yeah, possibly bringing a generation uh, together. So, um, gosh, well, now I didn't realize I was being compared to your other guest based on my Elden Ring prowess. Well, I finished the main story, nice. uh, Colin. So I, I have I have invested my, my time. I have uh, ground my way through. I will tell you I have made liberal use of spirit ash, ash, ashes uh, in there. The, <laughs> that, that mimic has gotten in there for me and helped, and helped me out. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I, it's interesting because there aren't a huge number of games that I've been like extremely, you know, excited for, uh, this year. And I won't, I, and I say Elden Ring was on the list, but there wasn't, I wasn't one of these super fans, these from super fans. And I got, I got like many people, I got, uh, horizon, you know, the horizon sequel about two weeks beforehand, played that a little bit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to finish horizon. Uh, and then I'm going to, you know, get into, to Elden Elden Ring, um, and but of course I started a little bit of Elden Ring, and I was like, oh no, I'm not going to stop doing this. Uh, and, and it's been really interesting to see the contrast between the two. I don't need to sort of belabor on that, but but what Elden Ring does extremely well is the is the discovery um, piece. You know that sense of 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 going around this map, which is just huge and gets bigger and you know bigger and bigger. Um, you know, so and then the other piece for me really is I had touched, you know, I played a little bit of Dark Souls and say a little bit, you know, really in the first, um, you know, in the first sort of, you know, level. I played a little bit of the, the Demon Souls remake. I played a little bit of Sekiro. None of them had clicked for me. And now I get it. You know, this notion of of how the game works, but also the way that. It is forgiving to to some extent, insofar as you can go off and do something else, um, and you know I love the fact that it doesn't really scale, so that you can go to an area, get completely crushed, be like, nope, not not doing this, uh, come back later, you know, when you're up several levels and just crush it, and it, it's a really good it's a really good feeling. So you know I think we've I think we're watching probably you know a, a, a new powerhouse brand and IP. You know, have been 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 born, but not only in the in the video game space. I would be staggered if we didn't get some Elden Ring graphic novels or novels or probably a TV show or movie. The it's a really interesting one because the storytelling itself is so sort of opaque. It's it's you know it's not entirely clear um, you know sort of what is is going on at any particular moment in time. And then unlike you know unlike Horizon, nothing is is signposted in terms of the quests or in terms of of, of the narrative. Uh, so I've seen some people posting about that. You know it's like 
oh that 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 side quest is over because you you went too far and you killed the wrong boss um but but a phenomenon i mean uh, you know i don't think anybody saw those sales those sales numbers coming i think it's been you know the second or third biggest game the last couple of years in the us and in the uk both by sales and on and sort of twitch streams and concurrent players on on steam i don't know i mean have have you been playing it oh yes i i've i've thrown myself against that rock quite a bit those are really interesting insights to me and and i am fascinated by this because it is like i really wasn't kidding everyone who's come on the podcast recently has been thinking about Elden Ring. This is and and this really hasn't happened in in years that I can think of that a single game has occupied so many people from so many different angles. My side is, I, I've always enjoyed Dark Souls, but mm-hmm. I I d- don't enjoy and I suck at mechanical combat, which seems stupid because the Dark Souls series in theory is all about basically dying a lot. And but there's something as you say in the sense of really immersing yourself in this world and there's that quality of the mysterious that fascinates me exactly what you were saying almost every game of this kind in in the last what 30 years does things like it has a quest log it has some pointers it says hey maybe you might want to go over here and i think elden ring does that but it does that in such incredibly subtle ways that throw out a lot of the baggage of all all of the things of having your screen filled with icons and having to follow the trail that leads you right to the answer and there are vast chunks of the game as far as i can see that you could completely miss and never even know are there no no doubt no doubt and you know it's interesting because you know it it is quite striking to go back and play horizon because it not only has the quest markers but particularly with the sequel it, it, you know, there's a lot of, of verbal guidance. You know, the main character Eli will say, "I should look over there. Can I pull that box down? I can pull that. I should try and pull that box down." Um, and of course, none of that. And um, you know, and, and I've, I have to tell you, since I, you know, I'm going to go back to Elden Ring and pick up the things that I've that I've 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 missed, but I needed a break. It was becoming too, you know, sort of consuming. But I've been playing, I've been playing the Demon Souls uh, remake, oh, and I've, cool. you know, I've kind of been. So I've, I've, and I think I'm probably like a lot of people. Like it'd be very interesting to see how people have discovered these games and i actually feel pretty excited because i've got demon souls and, and dark souls you know to go through now and then sort of explore and enjoy for the first time but there are two pieces to it that are kind of interesting um uh, you know sort of related the first is that it feels like you know it feels like a, like all of those games like a return to 16-bit or earlier type of gameplay little guidance um you know work things out sort of trial and error keep doing something until you until you get better at it effectively so there's a piece there but then also there's and and this is these are not novel thoughts related to that there's this kind of notion of the community around it and the notion of it's simultaneously you know feels sort of anachronistic it's almost like this nintendo hotline if you hit this wall you know three times it'll disappear it'll disappear and you remember that like you, you and i are of a similar generation of getting like the computer game magazine and yes. it would have like the tips page you know zelda if you if you hit the the bell three times a chest will appear you know uh, and those kind of things that either either it's through like the hotlines or through the magazines or just through word of mouth but then obviously now we're in the internet age and it's almost like it's a game to me that was 
they've kind of almost approached it as we don't need to do this stuff in game because if anybody gets stuck or doesn't know what to do there are you know that they can go and they can search it and as i understand and i'm not you know i'm very very new to this but as i understand that community i mean obviously i've known for a long time real enthusiasts people who are who are passionate about those from software games are really passionate but also i think there's a whole there's a whole kind of setup to help people you know get into it i know there's discussions about gatekeepers and should you summon people and you know is magic easy the easy mode and all this kind of business um but there's a lot there to support people with that said with that said colin i do recommend going and reading some of the one star reviews on amazon because they are <laughs> hilarious this is the stupidest game in the in the world if you think it's fun to just go out and like attack the first person you see and they kill you over and over and over again you know and you drop all your money if you think that's fun uh you know so there is a there, there is a piece of kind of of, of of getting it and understanding but but this is the thing no 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 tv show no movie is no book no you know viewed in a, a vacuum no book is read in a, in a vacuum now no game is played in a vacuum now and you know it, there is this community around that you can go and you can ask for for help you can go and you can read you know tips and wikis and all of those things and that's what elden ring feels like a little bit and you know then my last sort of thought is that i know there are people who go into the source code and like pull things out to try and find the secret and that's the only piece that feels like a real shame because it kind of is like you know i think about all the wild rumors around street fighter 2 and um you know and mortal Kombat. you know when those were released like if you can if you can uh you know beat uh the bosses without blocking and you hit down right left th- at the right time then then the, you know then shen shen long will appear and challenge you to a battle and of course they did that in mortal Kombat a little bit there was reptile and then there was you know um nude Psygot and, and those other pieces but it feels a little bit like that in certain respects that's really fascinating now <clears throat> and I think one of the most interesting questions to me, and and perhaps going to these other areas of interest that you have, and and maybe even South by Southwest, if we're heading into a world where as you build entertainment IP, as you build properties, and they spread out across these borders, and one way or another, you're always fundamentally trying to build and engage and obsess a community at different levels. What's the implications of what you're seeing in your space? and Elden Ring for what that looks like going forward across entertainment? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good question because I think one of the ways that... I think one of the ways that, that sort of the the entertainment business, the film and television business has softened a little bit is is by having to be so broad. You know, now, now with most motion pictures at least, they have to be, you know, appeal to four, you know, four quadrants, so to speak, internationally uh, and so forth and i think for that reason there's a tendency to kind of be on the nose to over you know explain um you know i mean obviously marvel is sort of doing you know has done some interesting things at this point in time but we all know right there's going to be the credit scene and and so forth so there's that piece but then also in television where there has been something that's a bit interesting almost the the internet and the enthusiast communities can kind of solve the mysteries too quickly 
so to you know speak and so i think that happened with the original the first series of westworld to the extent where i think there was almost like a, a reaction to that in the writer's room for season two to make it so obscure to try and get one one ahead i did not expect to be coming onto this podcast and talking about westworld but but here we but here we are and 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 so you know and not to say i mean there are there are you know exceptions i mean i think something like severance is you know is really good and entertaining and and feels relatable and human but also i have no idea what's going on there and what they're doing in those rooms and with the computers and everything else um but yeah, I mean, I think it's really, really hard for film and, and, and television, I find, you know, and look, maybe this is just because I've consumed so much media, but I, I find it, you know, film and TV really hard to, you know, engross me. A good book will, you know, if, I, if, I, in, in, if I'm in the right, the right frame of mind and I'm in the right place, but nothing in film and television has gripped me like, like Elden Ring was where i was like uh, honestly there was a period of time for those few weeks especially where i was thinking about Elden ring all the time i was thinking like like it would come up during the day where am i going to go and explore like if okay if i go over here and i can get this and maybe i can i can level up and then i can maybe go and have another crack at this person and i wonder what's sort of beyond there and it's that kind of thing which i think only gaming can really do I mean, I know that you can get started with a TV show and binge it and, and so forth, but there's, but there's nothing can kind of can can replicate that feeling of what's next, yeah. what's what's the next horizon, you know, what what what's going to happen after I do this, you know, it's 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 great. That that absolute sense you're talking about of, you know, where am I going to go inside this imaginary space next? And I think that that level of um, what's the adventure I'm going to create for myself? Which part of the geography am I going to explore? Especially if you're a person, and I think both of us are like this, who loves that sense of discovery and mystery and navigating a space. I absolutely agree. It's um, I had the exact same thing with Elden Ring. It um, took over far too much of my waking hours. And I have these, these let's just call them vendettas, Simon, um, against certain bosses that you run into and the whole Elden Ring Dark Souls experiences the first time you meet someone they crush you in a second and you go oh okay and then maybe three or four days later you've figured it out you've come back you're you're stronger and and the the sense well, of let's talk amazing satisfaction who, sure. who, spoilers spoilers who, ahead who yes is, spoilers ahead so so who were your 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 primary nemeses it's interesting the um so First off, Margaret, who is who is the the first kind of really major figure that you run into in Elden Ring, who is kind of your introduction if you haven't played these games before to the idea that you're going to get your ass kicked. I I, I had a, a personal issue with Margaret, and that was part of the the thing of just getting back up to speed in the kind of Dark Souls space of what combat actually means. Um, the fire giant, who is a oh giant, the fire um, giant was the that was the worst. Yes, that was the worst. And part of part of the way Elden Ring is structured is that most of the hardest fights and hardest bosses are actually optional. They're often kind of side dungeons where if you don't want to go and fight that person, you don't have to. But the fire giant literally is the gatekeeper to the end of the game. Um, he's a whatever it is, 150 foot tall, flaming red asshole who beats you senseless. And getting past him, especially because when he dies, he physically sort of crashes down in this giant tumbling building sort of thing, which is immensely satisfying. That was a deep moment of satisfaction for me, I got to say. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I, and- I, I certainly had the classic, like I had, I had certain, you know, plenty of circumstances where I got like the, 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 the health down to like a thing and then, and then, and then died. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Fire, Fire Giant was the worst. Um, but there were several that were bad yes. and, and look, but you, you, to your point though, about different approaches, you can go and you can learn every the rhythm of every boss and when to roll and and obviously there are people who have you know dis, who have beaten the game with never upgrading with wearing underpants and <laughs> you know uh, or you can go and you can you know travel the world upgrade to you know the 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 your weapon get the spammiest spirit ashes you can i just put into the chat they're like you know like like this thing about about like saucer saucer rogier being summoned for the past three hours as you try to beat <laughs> margaret here we go again you know him and jelly uh, trying to keep <laughs> but uh, you know so there, there are different ways you can kind of you can kind of approach it but yeah there have certainly been some actually i'll tell you the other ones for me yeah like, yeah, not, not even bosses but a couple of the the i don't know if you've gotten there um of the sort of the mercenary you know the case where you're going to assassinate people and you know there's a gut there's a particular character with a whip that just yes. whips the heck out of you and makes you bleed oh died a lot there um also that particular character is quite a long way away from the nearest waypoint so to even get to them and kind of take your punishment you have to journey quite a bit which is frustrating there is um, there is a person um, down inside a jail um, who is I think usually seen to be the second hardest fight in the game, and they are incredibly difficult. But if you beat them, you get access to the best spirit ash in the game. So there's this trade-off of if you can suffer through this person, you will then have an ally at your side that will murder just about everyone else going forward. But you have to go through a very frustrating fight, which is the most classic Dark Souls thing. Here's the shiny thing you want. Here's the asshole in front of them with a sword. It's just such a wonderful dynamic that I, I love. Yeah, and um, no, it's, and I, I don't think I've, I've... I certainly have not fought the one that I'm aware is the hardest boss. That'll be something to come. I'm not sure I've fought the one you've just you've just referenced, but it's, uh, and finally, it's a it, I, it is an interesting it's an interesting sort of um, study into human psychology and frame of mind because what often happens to me is like on that kind of boss run type of thing that you often have to do is I'll be very cautious and careful and it'll take some time and I get there and I get to the boss and I get killed you know and then i'm like okay right and then i try to like run straight to the back to the boss get killed before i even get there because I, you know and, <laughs> yes. and this because this, there's this piece of like of 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 being patient and, and and you know and doing things it's it's a it is really really interesting and it is easily a game and a developer in a series of games that could have just gone you know gone nowhere but honestly it's a kind of a reaction to other things that are going on in you know in in gaming and man i mean they they will have greenlit elden ring 2 already probably dlc there will be hollywood knocking on their door there cannot not be um i mean here's a controversial statement actually let me put you as a question this is this is a i'm gonna look foolish asking this question but i'm gonna ask you what's more valuable as ip for film and television okay at this point in time elden ring or Lord of the Rings. See, I, I have decidedly cranky opinions about Lord of the Rings, but if I were investing in IP today, I would absolutely invest in Elden Ring. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, and it'll be interesting to see how Amazon's 
you know show and of course there's no that the, the both the best and worst thing about the Elden Ring is that there is you know very light actual story but there are a lot of stories that could be told in that world but yeah i think it's i think it's in you know i would love to see like a um an arcane type animated series i think you would lose something by trying to do it in live action i think it'd be really hard uh i feel that way about say you know some of brandon sanderson's things as well sure um so but yeah it's nice look it's um it's it's and 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 honestly just having that thing that sort of unites people and and when you get it when you go into it and you play it and you become a part of that sort of community and you understand the memes it's you know it's like it's like being part of any kind of a you know a fandom it's it's great that's fantastic also very much from your perspective you mentioned arcane which is the wildly successful animated series which is based on league of legends by riot games on netflix and i think a lot of people um especially writers um have been absolutely blown away by the quality level of arcane it's it's arguably not just a good animated series but it literally sets an entirely new bar for what you can do with a fantasy animated property and it seems to have unlocked a a torrent of deal making in that space generally are you seeing effects from things like arcane where suddenly everyone is like ah we can really do things with this ip and take it in different directions so you know and i have no first-hand knowledge of arcane but i know people who have been at at riot games and my understanding is that that was developed over a really really long period of time and with an awful lot of, of of thought and of course what it does really well is it um you know is it expands upon the world uh, you know and creates a story and something that as i understand it didn't have a huge sort of narrative component to it before it's absolutely gorgeous has a level um uh you know actors i think it was very very uh, expensive uh, i mean to your question i think there are two, at least two threats. Number one, video game deals. And we probably talked about this on the last podca- podcast. Exploding. I think it's the most valuable form of, of IP. We've been involved in a, you know, in a, in a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I would imagine every AAA game, unless there's a, a rights holder objection or some com- kind of complication, will have some kind of film or television in, in development. Um, and a lot of the indies as well. It's just so fertile. The um, but then there's also a piece around animation, and I and I really think that that animation is is gaining legitimacy as a as a form of adaptation. Um, you know, I'm not a huge sort of anime, you know, sort of manga uh, consumer, but it that the global popularity is 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 you know without without question, um, and I think it's 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 a viable it's a viable way to 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 look at you know producing some of these these things now. The challenge with that, though, and again, this is not something I intended to speak about on this podcast, but uh, you know, animation, uh, you know, the the writers are often non-guild. Um, the you know the, the some of the major studios that produce animation, um, you know, aren't don't kind of give the same kind of back end or whatever else and so you know it's not necessarily the best medium for 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 a creator uh, or for a writer um which i think needs to possibly be addressed but i mean i'm sure i talked about this again what what where where i really see um where i really see that the the being the most opportunity here 
is you know, today, I mean, I'm sure you saw this announcement, Unreal Engine 5 has been made available to two developers. Um, I see that engine and I see others like it as being, you know, a situation where there's a very there's a very thin line between something that's 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 a video game you know aesthetic or appearance and, and something that can be linear. So that, that effectively, rather than go to a, you know a movie studio and say, hey, you know we'd like to make a, a, a you know a, a cartoon or a TV show out of our, our property, here are the rights. Um, you know that that effectively in some instances it's developed in house. And in some instances, you're using the same, the same, you know, the same assets, um, and that way they can ensure continuity. They can assure that things are on brand. They can, you know, do something which is very difficult, but you know, from a temporal perspective, tie in the plans for the game and the plans for the for the show. You know, I mean, we talk about Elden Ring. There's no point if there are an Elden Ring show coming out uh, and it doesn't align with the development. You know. Uh, you know, schedule for, for for coming games, or even worse, the two parties aren't aren't talking to each other, and there's an aspect of of, of the quote unquote canon in the show that contradicts the the game or or whatever else. Um, speaking of that, have you watched the Halo show? I've seen the first episode. The rest hasn't Me come too. out in New Zealand yet. Yeah. What What did you think? So, it's a really interesting example to me of I think what you're talking about, which is it feels to me like somebody made a spin-off show from an IP franchise. You have the game sort of over here and you have the show and we're making these two separate things and the, the TV people are making the show and the game people are making the game, which I think until very recently is how almost everything seems to have happened. Um, as a writer there to me, and this is, this is only my opinion, um, there is a, a structural and emotional gap at the core of Halo that makes it extraordinarily difficult to adapt to other media because at the very core of Halo as a game and the thing that was so innovative right at the start 20 years ago, the idea that you get to in, basically inhabit a, a faceless right. um, person. And the silent protagonist in some Exactly, which, which in faceless video games... Protagonist. Yes, even with things like Gordon Freeman from Half-Life, there are several famous examples. This is incredibly powerful in video games, but extremely difficult when you're trying to take it out into something more linear. The second challenge that I have always had with Halo is that um, I enjoy the feel of the universe, but once you start actually digging into the story construction and the lore of that universe, um, I believe there are challenges there. And I think... Mm -hmm. Why my my very first impression of the Halo TV series is that a lot of very smart, very hardworking and talented people have done their best to shape it into a TV series size box. I think there are fundamentals about the franchise that don't fit that box well. But um, what were your impressions? I mean, it's a little early to, to, to judge. I thought that the 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 opening the opening 15 20 minutes i thought were pretty it was pretty spectacular it felt you know you had a lot of those kind of um signature moves from halo i thought that the they really you know pulled no punches in terms of you know how the the enemy comes and is just ruthless and everything else uh but then from there it's kind of it, it felt like a very familiar mix of sort of space politics and you know the the notion of well okay we've got 
Master Chief, he's not that relatable, so we need to take his mask off, number one, and we need to find him a human companion. Let's yeah. bring him, give him a companion, you know, and it's, it is very much, I mean, I, I'm, you know, this thing's been in development a long time, so it's not, it's not really fair probably to say this, but a little bit like, you know, the Mandalorian um, in, in certain ways. But, you know, look, I'm glad after so long it, it, it made it to it. And, and my real thing about this is, you know, historically, and, and we all know there have been bad video game movies, but I feel like there's such a high expectation sometimes put on these these adaptations, number one. And then number two, and look, in the world today, everything's a take, right? Everything means something, you know? What what uh, what the Will Smith uh, slap has to say about global warming, but but you know but sometimes a show is like that's okay that's based on a movie or a game or it's just merely entertaining. It that doesn't reflect on on video games as a source material, you know yeah. broadly. There is um there's a fundamental challenge that I'll throw back to you on that, and it's and and it's especially a problem with with basically action games. Um. I would I would argue that for something like Call of Duty, for something like Halo, for something like really even like Grand Theft Auto, playing the game itself is far more engaging than any TV or movie version of that can be. Like, why don't I really want to watch war films anymore? Well, because if I want war, I can go into Call of Duty and that is the most overwhelmingly kinetic, incredible experience I can have and nothing projected on a screen can really compare to that. You're really looking at the fundamental strengths of the mediums starting to emerge. And I think still, especially really with TV, the strength there has to be around basically human characters and interaction and that sort of stuff. Anything kinetic, anything action-based, anything that I think games do really well, the TV shows and the movies just seem like a pale shadow. And I think this is really where, for a very long time, um, when, when games were seen as a niche, people didn't really appreciate this. But you have this flowering of games are really, really, really good at stuff that movies and films are okay at. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I really liked about Arcane with the Riot thing was there's no attempt there to try and recreate the experience of playing League of Legends. It recognizes that there's this universe behind everything and then we dive properly into the parts of that universe that suit each medium that we're working in. And Arcane is literally built around a series of very intense fantasy relationships. League of Legends, the game as you play it, is not a game about relationships. It's a game about moving things around a large board. It, yeah, and and so I think leaning much more heavily into the real strengths of every medium. Podcasts also being a good example. What is the value of listening to something without the visuals? Really starting to lead into those different mediums feels like a track where you can start to build much stronger, um, what used to be called transmedia universes. I agree with everything you've said. However. I would. I, I'm willing to, to make a bet that there will be a Call of Duty and a, and a Grand Theft Auto uh, movie or TV show in the next ten years. And it's just there's too much. Mo- there's there's too much money, uh, potential money to leave on the table, uh, not to. But I agree. One. I agree whole wholeheartedly. Um, and I think that that really is, that is the one of the fundamental challenges for for the creative is, is how do you find some, do something that 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 complements the source material but is different and fresh enough and satisfies the fans but also brings something new and excites the fans uh, all of which to say 
I'm very glad that that isn't my job. Uh, my, <laughs> my job is to make the deals, which is complicated, uh, you know, uh, enough and, 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 can, and can be. And I have to think about the creative possibilities uh, for sure. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, that is really an unenviable uh, uh, task. But, you know, my goodness me, the rewards if you can, if you can pull it off. Yes. It's, it's such a fascinating world we're moving into. You've written some really interesting things recently about exactly what you're talking about, which is the, the practical and deal-making differences in moving between the worlds. For instance, there are a whole lot of norms in essentially Hollywood deal-making that are completely turned on the head when you deal with game studios, um, without necessarily going to specifics because of your work. But how do you see the need for creatives and companies and lawyers to navigate that landscape over the next few years, these fundamental differences between the industries. Sure. And, and I think that one of the, the things that, you know, is key is that we're really in the first generation of people who are working ostensibly in traditional entertainment, who have any level of respect or reference for you know for video games as as a, as a source material so you know i know a number of you know of, of development executives at studios who play games and are familiar with with games and and that's really the only way it's you know it, it can it can work and can 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 happen if you purely view it as a brand that that you know you see that the kids are you know the kids are queuing around the block to play their ataris that you know that's that's not that's not sufficient uh with that said you know there are there are uh, there's a whole world of things you know part, partly um uh timeline uh culture uh you know control um you know the the default very much uh, in Hollywood in general. And I will say this is this has changed more broadly than video game IP. But the default classically was, oh, you've written this book, you've got this piece of IP, we're going to acquire it, we'll pay you for the rights. Um, you know, we'll, we'll call you when, when the movie's coming out. Um, and that's changed. You know, it's not uncommon to see, I mean, I do them every day, deals where authors are, have some level of producerial attachment, often as an executive producer, sometimes a consulting producer. Uh, I've certainly done, you know, deals where uh, book authors um, are engaged either to write or co-write a pilot script for uh, for a series. So I think there's a there's a much greater respect for um, for, for 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 kind of creators and originators uh, than there was, um, which is which is great. But with that said, in you know, with video games, the, the, honestly, the it's a if you have a huge franchise, it's a it's a relatively high risk, low reward endeavor to make a movie or a TV show because if you do a really bad job, you risk you know potentially tarnishing your your brand. If you do a really good job, you raise you make a you know a little bit of money, you raise some additional you know, awareness and, and, but, but it's, you know, it might not move the needle if versus if you have a huge franchise or if you have like a software as a service type of a, you know, games as a service type of, of, of experience with people paying a subscription fee or whatever else. And so you have to tread carefully and that explains the reticence in some, you know, in some, uh, some things. And you're certainly not going to give over all of your rights yeah. to a Hollywood studio without control. And in the, in the event of Arcane, I have no firsthand knowledge, but I believe what probably happened was, um, and that the reason I'll, I'll tell you why I intuit this, I believe it was licensed and it's not owned by 
by Netflix. And in part, what's what's leading me to believe that is it says something like a Netflix series or something at the front at the start. It doesn't say a Netflix original. And I've had situations where I've been negotiating with SVOD platforms for things that have been in existence for 20 and 30 years. And I've been told, no, 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 they're all just they all have to say that they all have to say it's an original. Well, obviously, Riot was at such a, a level where you know they can say all right fine we'll walk across the street to, to to apple or to amazon we don't we don't need need your money um so i i think they probably re- retained more ownership and control than is uh than is 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 usual um but you know the, just other pieces um in terms of how the deal making works you know in 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 film and television legal and business affairs tend to be quite aligned i'm very often doing the deal i'm also papering the deal i'm interfacing with creative executives quite often to get details about what i'm buying right to understand it um so that we can make make smart deals and my experience with video game companies is that very often um the legal and the business are two two separate worlds the, the business may be non non-lawyers and they kind of are more in their sort of their, their, their boxes which is which has benefits, it, you know, it feels more like a software company. But what it means is that you might have a situation where an agent or a, or an, or a talent attorney calls somebody on the business side of things, quote unquote, right, to, to complain about, you know, some stuck point about an actor's deal or a writer's deal or some rights piece. And that's, that's just in, in, incomprehensible. To, to, to the attorney at the gaming side. Well, hang on a second. They called my my, my they called them their clients. They called my clients, but in, in in but it's much more fluid in in sort of entertainment. So these little pieces of of culture, you know, uh, I'm sure there's a, a geographic element insofar as you know gaming companies are often all over the world. The movie business, not exclusively, but tends to be pretty concentrated in in a in a certain geographic area in in, in California. Um, but you know, the, look for all of these things. There are there are creative and economic, you know, reasons and incentives for for it to happen, and that's why it will continue to happen. And it's really exciting. Like it's really, from yeah. my perspective, what really, you know, I really I like the industry and I like all the stuff, but I also really like my work. I like drafting. I like problem solving. I like thinking about how these pieces are going to fit together. And there's nothing better of kind of like having to solve a problem or anticipate something for a client and be like, you know what? They're not going to actually, you know, want us to do this. So how about we just, we, we make, we, we propose something in this respect for the rights or, you know what? I was doing my research and it looks like the third game in the series was actually published by a completely different party. That's where they introduced that weird character. Well, they may not have those rights and those kinds of pieces, you know, that's what makes life exciting and interesting. Oh, that's awesome. I, I think as well, one of the things that, certainly I see from people um, in, in, in games, in tech products, they love that sense of, just as you've said, um, that there's a whole raft of problems yet to be solved and kind of everyone, in, really in a sense, everyone is making up the future as we go along in a really positive sense. And that's that's quite fascinating. You have that, the, um, one of the things that I see in government is you have a very very strong respect for the way we have always done things and one of the really notable things about tech and games to me is this idea of we don't know how we're going to do things next this is really exciting and these are those fundamental mind shifts one of the things that that i think i pick up from reading and 
very much from these conversations. I think we're both working off a similar hypothesis. I think we we both have some version in our heads of over the next 10 years, gaming especially and gaming related things are going to even more dominate the global entertainment space. And I think that if you're in the space, I think a lot of people take this for granted, but most people who are not in the space and don't necessarily see the things we see, I think they're still waking up to this. And is that your hypothesis? This is me guessing. And what do you think this will look like in 10 years? Well, I mean, look, very little I say on this point is going to, is going to be, you know, new or, or, or novel, but look, the, the, the most successful games and game franchises, um, you know, pull people into a level of immersion and a sort of amount of time and community building and frankly, you know, brand loyalty far more so than, uh, you know, than most movies or TV shows. Part of that is content. You know, if you have a triple A AAA game, you might spend, you know, 30 to 100 hours in there, right? Like Elden Ring being on the higher end. If you have something that's sort of as a service, you know, there are probably people who have spent thousands of hours in Final Fantasy 14. So, you know, a movie comes out, and this is something we talk about internally a fair amount, my, my, my partner at the firm and I, you know, in sort of the, the, the binge versus the the binge versus the weekly model because you binge something you binge a series and you know you spend a weekend with it and then you don't get any more for 18 months that, that that's not going to sort of sustain this so there's that kind of quality of gaming but more fundamentally and i think this is the this is the piece this to me seems seems an obvious thing it's well you know it's very 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 easy for me to get netflix onto my television quite often if i buy a samsung or an lg tv Netflix and Apple and, you know, sometimes Peacock, sometimes Amazon are, are literally built in. It's a button on the remote control. Um, and, uh, you know, the, at most I go and I, I buy a little box and, that you know, Roku or something. Gaming has been something that has, you know, traditionally been seen as inaccessible or for a niche and you have to understand it. Obviously, mobile gaming, cell, cell phone gaming has broken that that down right like there are a lot of people who would not characterize themselves as gamers and yet play wordle every day the i think that where it's going to be really interesting is when and this is the inevitable future this is what microsoft is is sort of moving towards and probably sony is is the cloud is the notion that uh, and, and look, I, I'm in the, I primarily play, so the PlayStation 5 is my main platform, but I'm also, I'm in the Xbox ecosystem. So I have a Series X downstairs, I have a Series S upstairs, but I also have something called the Backbone, which is just a little remote, little controller that I attach to my cell phone. And if I'm sitting in front of the TV and I'm not that engaged, or I'm kind of just, I can pop that on and I can play something from, from Game Pass. My, my save game syncs seamlessly, I stop, it's there, I can pick it up, I can put it down. Um, and, you know, every, on that service is everything from Gears of War and Halo to, you know, Bethesda, you know, RPGs to, I think, probably card games to Unpacking, which is a game where you literally just take things out of a box and put them in, in the house. And it tells a story, but, but, you, but you do that, right? And so it's literally, you know, you're sitting there and... And so I think that that's, that will be the, the, the piece, you know, gaming is broad, 
it's it's everything you know it's in a, and it's inclusive and i think that obviously there are problems about gatekeeping and all other kinds of issues there are cultural issues with it but it's going to become more accessible and then that technological aspect and and you better you know that's why netflix is buying video game companies it's as a defensive maneuver and what they'll start doing is presumably is at first and i'm sure this is the case right now it'll be bundled they'll start sending controllers to people for free i'm guessing right it'll just show up it'll be there on your television and it'll just be there and you and, you, and you'll try it um and you'll move seamlessly from platform to platform and there are some people you know it's it's not going to they'll never kind of you know they'll, they'll, it'll, it'll never be for them and i and i understand that but you know, you're in the generation now where, you know, I'm not going to stop playing playing video games ever to some level. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just not, um, you know, it'll ebb and flow and, you know, and so forth. But I won't. It's a primary. It's something I've grown up with. It's primary sort of form of my entertainment, my engagement with culture. And that will be the case, I think, for every generation going going forward. And so you know that's that's the piece that we're this, that we're sort of moving to and then from a business standpoint you've got to look at about the fact of okay well the big thing was the 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 breaking down of the cable of the cable package yeah. you buy this you know you pay $200 a month you get 300 channels you watch probably 15 of them to be generous and that's and that's that um, and then everyone's very excited oh netflix has everything you just play $10 a month well, of course, we've seen how that's played out. They're all doing original content. They all have you know, different movies licensed elsewhere. So now you've got probably 10 SVOD platforms plus, if you, you know, that's if you exclude the niche ones, competing. But now you've got gaming subscription services as well. So you've got Game Pass and you've got the new PlayStation one that they've that they've unveiled. You know, Nintendo will embrace it in probably about 80 years. Um, you know, but but so it's all competing for the same consumer dollars and and that is the sort of the existential crisis of the of the of you know, for instance the movie business in in general, which is, you know, we still publish the box office, you know, results every weekend you know of a movie but what's discounted is kind of the fact that it used to be you know movies okay versus maybe on a friday night or a saturday night if there was like a big sports game or something on tv or a live concert or live stage those that was the competition now the competition for movie opening on a friday night is you know is um you know television streaming of course it's on-demand movies it's you know, sort of micro content, TikTok and the like. And it's, and it's, you know, whatever the big game, you know, releases. And it doesn't, I, I would be curious to know if you're in the marketing department at a motion picture company, I have to imagine, because I know they do this around things like for the World Cup, right? So like, don't, you know, don't open your movie in Europe around the World Cup. It's a, it's a bad idea. Um, unless it's sort of quote unquote counter programming. But I wouldn't open my my movie on the same on the same weekend as as the new GTA or the new Elden Ring. I think that's that's suicide, especially if it's. If, but the thing is, I was about to say, if it's aimed at you know, if my movie's aimed at at men 15 to 35. But that I think is a is a really back backwards and and, and outdated statement because I've seen a lot of women playing, you know, Elden Ring. I've seen a lot of people of all all ages genders backgrounds this thing is 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 broad i i absolutely agree very anecdotally um 
both on the production side of gaming, but just in terms of those, really those who game a long while ago, a lot of women that I knew, and this is all anecdotal, they had all gotten into gaming because their older brothers played games with them when they were young. And now that is just an irrelevant model. It's not even a thing. It's just, yes, of course I play games. I'm a person. Um, I think the same thing on the industry side where certainly 10 years ago, if you wandered around a lot of game studios, you were at a, if you were lucky, there were 10% women. And that actually wasn't anything to do with the interest level or obviously the capability of women. It was simply a culture and history thing that the basic pipeline of talent has erased there are women flooding into the production side of gaming like never before which is which is a wonderful mm-hmm. thing so in, yes, in I, the legal departments as well i mean in course, my experience yeah. um the majority of the attorneys that i've dealt with at game companies have been female which yeah, is exactly. great and 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 so on your point about the the difference between essentially inherited mindsets and the reality of what's coming even even ideas like quadrants which were in film a very very rough way to say well we have to fit into at least one and preferably four of these i mean in a in a world with as much data and analytics and access as we have i i i can't think of the elden ring people sitting around going yes our game elden ring is for males aged 18 to 25 i i very much doubt that they are in that space yeah, I, I I mean look the and this is like I mean I've, I'm I'm a broken record. Anyone who follows me on LinkedIn will know I, I I I harp on this from time to time. And we may have even again talked about this last one. I just all I want is like a high quality like documentary series that goes into these kinds of things. I would love to be a fly on the wall because I feel like with Elden Ring and there's obviously a very clear through line in their other games. I think they made the game that they wanted to make. You know, maybe there were some more concessions, you know, in the things we've talked about to make it a little more accessible. But I think they made the game that they wanted to make. And they made, oh gosh, this is a controversial statement. It is more uncompromising as a work of art than virtually any Hollywood movie of the last 20 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, And I think the exact thing we're talking about, which is, an inevitable part of for a long time of getting any level of funding for a film project has been enormous consideration of okay how are we going to concede to the audience that we want and games obviously have to do this all the time mobile games especially are are almost nothing but following the data of where the users are but i i absolutely think that whatever three years ago sitting in the magic room at the elden ring studio you can't imagine that they were saying well if we do things this way, we'll appeal to all of these people because so many of the choices that are made in, in that game are so counterintuitive if you were trying to be as successful as they are. The real difference with the previous From Software games like Dark Souls and Demon Souls is that they emerged as a cult. You were one of those Dark Souls people who loved getting punished, as you were saying earlier. And Elden Ring does compromise and, and, and I think, expand on that. But you're like... like no rational person with a marketing mindset would have said, yeah, yeah, make these choices and we'll be really popular. That, yeah. That's just no. not a thing that comes in there. If you showed it, if you led it to, to marketing committee, I mean, let's just just, yes. just, just talk about it, right? Um, the main commodity that you collect disappears, affects, or is lost when you die. The first character you, you see effectively in emerging in the open world can, can and will kill you immediately 
you know, there, there are a whole slew of, of decisions that, that, that somebody would say, hang on a second, no. But, you know, yeah. but, but, and, and, and again, everything in, in art and in media exists in the context of, of, of what's going on. And, you know, as you know, as somebody who plays games, what do most games start with? Here's a tutorial. Yeah. Here's how you do. It. I'm going to guide you through every mechanism of of, of the game and, and so forth. And yes, granted, Elden Ring does have a, a you know more of a tutorial, you know, an abbreviated one, but nonetheless, um, but uh, but not in the same way that, that sort of most games are. But but you know, there's kind of a. It's also interesting because it it plays with the form, you know, insofar as in certain respects. You, as somebody who knows the vernacular and the language of games, it kind of it plays into that and you understand it. But then, as you say, it also subverts it in in certain ways. And you know, it's it. You go into a room, and like this just happened to me playing Demon Souls in the last like 48 hours. I got into an area, I was doing really well, killed a few people, and then I got to the top of a rooftop and there were five people and I panicked a bit and I was like, okay, I'm going to leg it up these stairs and clear some space for myself and I'll take them off one by one. Well, what did they do? They pushed the flaming hot boulder down the, down the <laughs> stairs and crushed me and burnt me alive. Um, you know, but you kind of laugh at those things within the construct of those, of those games because it's kind of, you know, it's, 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 um, it's very clever in its, in it, in its, in its construction. And it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see, we know where the gaming business goes. We've talked a lot about games in this in this podcast. Good. I'm really excited, I have to say. And one of the things I think has been one of the, the greatest emerging things over the last decade plus in gaming is the emergence of, of, of indie um, games that don't necessarily, you know, that have different expectations and can be creative. And I think that one of the challenges for the gaming business as we move to a subscription model, and I've had some first-hand conversations about this, is we have to ensure that there can be a viable and sustainable model for those games and for those kinds of, of experimentation. Um, and also one that frankly allows upside because yeah. it's one thing to say, well, you know, we will cover the cost of your game and a little bit of a profit, which is the Netflix model, right? We'll give you a little yeah. 10% premium. But then, you know, you do something that becomes wildly popular you deserve far more than 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 that i would say as a as a, as a creator so yeah there are certainly challenges there's a, there's a lot of interesting discussion that i'm sure you follow as well about the shift to the netflix model basically limits both the upside and the downside of what you can do which um in theory creates short-term stability but does i i think a lot of entertainment properties in general that really become earth-shattering hits they're very often counterintuitive and they very often wouldn't happen in an environment that again limits the upside and the downside and i think yeah. it's, it's a really interesting trend of um one of the absolutely one of the strengths to me of games even now and where they're going is the insane variety and especially as you say in the indie space the idea that three people with a pretty small budget can make some radical creative choice that makes no sense and it will probably not work but every once in a while it will and oh that i mean i love that game that game that started as the as the, the skyrim mod 
about that was it called the forgotten yes, city forgotten or city. something yeah you know i mean i think that was like a five person team or smaller you know and many years but but like you know focus on story and because i guess and at least initially they didn't have to worry about the assets and starting from scratch i mean this is what's so exciting about you know unreal engine and the meta humans and everything else they could focus on the story and doing things that are a little bit a little bit different i mean in, in film and television you know the netflix model you know and that kind of and we'll call it the cost plus model you're right i mean it protects it mitigates i think for certain types of things like i'll be honest with you and this is maybe going against against type and i'll you know whatever i'll i'll blast down behind this i love like rom-coms and you know christmas movies and those kinds of things and the cost plus model is a really good way you know thing for that it allows you know people to churn, churn things out pursuant to a formula um but um but yeah, it, but it's but it's rough. I mean, even you know, uh, even something like like you know, uh, like a Seinfeld or something like like that took a long time to take off, um, but huge, huge sort of reward. And that's the thing, like doing those things that are kind of those bets. It's either going to completely bomb or it's going to be a massive success. That's not the kind of thing that's encouraged by. You know what's encouraged is, is is the formula. You know the algorithm says we like these things. We're just going to do volume, 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 volume of these of these kinds of things. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's an interesting, challenging time because I you know in in, in film and TV I don't see the SVOD model going away. Um, although I think there'll be consolidation, um, and there'll be you know maybe some attempts to kind of do things a little bit differently. And then in gaming as you say we have to protect that that variety and diversity of 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 games and we have to enable you know the 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 creators i mean we acquired an indie game for 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 a television adaptation and effectively a one-man show this guy programmed it you know illustrated it it, remarkable i mean an, an artistic accomplishment that that just you know truly deserves to be called like an auteur because you just in what media you know multimedia kind of you know thing that does somebody do that absolutely and and very much to your point about forgotten city um some mad australian i believe he is decided that he wanted to essentially make a time looping game about the really about the philosophy of life and death based in ancient rome and historically accurate, as yes, I understand yeah, it, in all of these yeah. pieces. And 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 immediately at that point, you're going, great, that'll never make a dime. And one way or another, the circumstances exist that he can assemble a small team. They can throw themselves at it for several years. Um, an incredible creative bet. And it is the one that works. I absolutely agree. And, and I, I mean, I love The Forgotten City. If you showed me the Forgotten City and said, Colin, I want you to put your own money behind this on the assumption that it will be a hit, I would say, no, I am not investing right. in this. And that's, right. a, that's a real thing. No, uh, yeah, for, for sure. I mean, you know, it's not some, again, not something you would, you would kind of pitch in the room, but, but, it, but it's fabulous. And, and this goes to something about the gaming community. And I think that, I think that this has been something that Hollywood has, ch- has struggled with, right? Because for so long, the notion there was the notion of creating an audience for a movie, very carefully managing how it's um, 
you know how it's marketed and how it's portrayed and everything else and you know even like apparently there was this philosophy in hollywood in like the 90s you know if you look at the trailer for like tom hanks cast away that move that people what people want is to know what exa- everything that happens in the movie so there are no surprises which is the exact opposite to, to what i want but the gaming community for better or worse because there certainly are examples of the the worse if they don't like something you will know but if they like something it doesn't matter it could be the smallest thing in the world it will it will it will travel people it will catch on in a way that a lot of you know look it can happen a little bit squid game and things like that you know in other media but but not in that kind of way because gamers are so interconnected they're so global they're so vocal where you know i you know you and i could literally you know produce a game for ten thousand dollars with rough as can be but if it was good or clever it would it would catch you know it would catch yes. on um and that's a pretty amazing amazing thing um by the way i should just because i've had this sitting down here i'll just show this this oh. to you it won't surprise oh, you look, simon is holding up is. an incredible elden ring collector's edition oh my god that's gorgeous yeah and what you know what i didn't i didn't pre-order this i um i just got the 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 the, the digital i think edition of it maybe um and then I got so into it, I felt like I had to. I had to do it. And I was at South by Southwest actually, and I got the the Wario sixty four. Do you follow this guy on Twitter? Oh yes, yeah, tweets yeah, out yeah, the yeah. gaming deals, all, all like deals, Elden yeah. Ring collector's editions available on Amazon. <laughs> so I like, got straight in and, and, and ordered it um, because this and the, you know this and, and and Returnal for the last you know eighteen nice. months, two years have been really the two the two things that have have kind of have have weaved their way into my you know into my <laughs> psyche. Um, one of the so things that that is lost in the medium of podcast is that behind Simon, as I look at him, is the most wonderful shelf of the most incredible collectibles and toys and posters imaginable. It is a, a beautiful backdrop to discuss yeah. things. And I'm I'm slowing, and, I'm, and I, I, I've got to say, I have and I am purposefully slowing down uh, acquisition. Well, where will just, it stop otherwise, right? Well, exactly. I'll run, I'll run, <laughs> I'll run out of, of, of room. Um, and you know but this is very much like a pandemic thing i mean for the benefit of the audience i've been been working in this room for sort of two years and now i'm in the office a little bit but yeah i mean there's some cool you know some cool things like you know i just got this this is the final fantasy seven art book most of my video game art books are in the office uh in in fact um you know it's one of those things where you come into my office at work and either you'll you'll just completely ignore these things or you'll immediately be like oh my god this game is great and that's what i'm looking for is to, exactly. you know, it, um so incredibly uh, smart. so um, so yeah on the, on that topic of south by southwest and and, mm-hmm. and this is the other thing that i really wanted to get y- your thoughts on um connected to the idea of this massive shift in both entertainment and entertainment revenue and talking a little bit about secondary markets which always come into play with games especially you have this rise and rise and rise since we last talked about public awareness of nfts non-fungible tokens Mm -hmm. and more broadly digital collectibles becoming a thing um what did you see at south by southwest in particular and and in your what's your sense of where this is at at the moment yeah well so so first off it was you know it was and I should talk about this a little bit because it, it was lovely to go to South by Southwest. Um, to me, I will never forget that moment leading up to South by Southwest 2020 because it coincided so closely with with everything. I mean, literally in the space of two weeks, we went from, you know, 
should we go to South by Southwest? Oh, maybe we shouldn't go to South by Southwest. Oh, they've canceled South by Southwest. Uh, oh, we have to leave the office immediately. Uh, and so, and then in 2021, we did what I thought was a really excellent virtual panel um, on the subject, actually adapting um, uh, video games uh, into film and television and, you know, about 200 people, 200 views on that. Uh, so not, not sort of widely, you know, and so this was back in person and it was simultaneously better attended than I thought it would be, but also quieter, especially in the evenings. I think people are still a little bit reticent to kind of go out and, and, and interact and, and, and so forth. But it was marvelous. I saw some great uh, musical acts, which is one of the things I love about that festival. But in terms of, of, of trends, I, you know, I think clearly anyone who was there would, would notice two. One would be the, um, the increased prominence to the to the gaming uh, track. Uh, I went to a number of, sort of game finance or game development type uh, type panels um, and you know, they, they sort of moved it up in the weekend. I think that it has to be a focus for South by Southwest going forward. It's so on brand for, for what they do. Uh, but then the other piece was the NFT piece. And, you know, I went to some panels around blockchain gaming um, and some other pieces sort of sort of there. And but more more conspicuously, there were at least a couple of massive, massive installations. So for the benefit of the listeners who may not have been South by Southwest, as I understand it, kind of started as started as a music festival and then grew into this kind of hybrid film interactive thing, but was kind of, you know, still like a cooler, more intimate, folksy thing. And then you know, by probably about 10 years ago, had ballooned into a massive corporate piece, massive brand sponsorship. Certainly the first few years that I was there, it was almost like a music festival. Like Spotify had a had a, a stage or, or Pandora that could accommodate, you know, tens of thousands of people. Um, and then it kind of, before the pandemic, sort of contracted a little bit because I think people were questioning their investment. And then obviously, you know, even more so now, and maybe it's kind of, it's gone back to a little bit of what it, of what it was. Um, and, you know, but for that reason, it stands out to you when somebody has a big installation and they're not, they're not cheap. And there were a couple there um, for NFT projects. And, you know, look, the, the primary we work with NFT companies um, in all respects. We represent them. We, you know, work in partnership with entertainment and media companies. We also work with entertainment and media companies on the other end of things. Um, we've licensed IP for for NFTs. We've tried. We're, we're trying, you know, actively with with clients and with the the talent agencies to work out how, for instance, NFTs should be characterized in rights agreements. Yeah. Who should get what? These kinds of pieces. Um, but the primary focus of of NFTs, I think, in general to the consumer is these profile picture, you know, things. And, and most prominently, uh, the Bored Apes Club um, and, you know, CryptoPunks, World of Women. Those are probably the three, um, you know, uh, uh, the um, Bored Apes Club was quite prominently promoted on Jimmy Fallon uh, a couple of months ago uh, with Paris Hilton. You're laughing. I know why. Um, and then, you know, Reese Witherspoon has been very active in a bunch of them, including World of Women, ostensibly is going to develop it for film and, and, and television. And so the couple of projects that were there, one of which was basically like board apes with rabbits, I think, you know, uh, very much in that vein. And the theory goes 
we're going to drop these things. They're usually sort of procedurally um, AI generated, right? So it's these different variations of facial expressions. It's usually some kind of animal. Some of them have a hat. Some of them are smoking a cigar, these kinds of pieces. And you're going to acquire this. You're acquiring a digital image. After that piece, you know, and, and it's registered on, on the blockchain, obviously. So there's a central register that says who, who technically owns that piece. Beyond that, kind of all bets are off because it's there is not a consistent um you know sort of uh policy or or practice for who owns sort of the ip um the the terms of service aren't necessarily clear um you know sometimes it's offered to the the the, the consumer the entity holder that they can have the right to do these derivative things and do merchandise and everything else the terms may not you know may not may not um sort of uh you know, uh, actually cover that or cover that su sufficiently. But from the perspective of like South by Southwest, the promise, the 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 what they're trying to promise and promote is is fairly clear. This is the next generation of entertainment properties. Yeah. That's the message that they're trying to create. That these um you know these bunny things are going to be a world, and we're going to do movies. And we're going to do TV shows and comic books and apparel and merchandise and and and, and toys and all of these kinds of things. Um, and so, buy in with your NFT in your NFT now. It you know it'll be it's ostensibly something of value. But when this whole brand is built, it'll be even more valuable. And we're going to take the money and we're going to do these these things. And that's kind of the the promise of this of of Web 3.0, um, wrapped up as well in some sort of language around you know decentralization and um, and the audience owning you know a piece of the uh, a piece of the IP, and yeah, so it, it was it was quite visible, and the lines were around the block at South by Southwest to get into these things. Now, you know, uh, as a cynic, I might say that that frankly, you know, at these kinds of events. The layperson will line up for virtually anything, you know, especially if it's if it's free and doesn't require a badge. But still, uh, there is some, you know, there's some excitement um, there. Um, you know, sort of beyond that, I mean, I guess, I guess it's possible uh, that some of these things could could kind of hit it big, um, or that the actual brand or IP fails. But there's something at the sort of the platform technology level that some of these companies create. And then I think that's the promise and the valuation behind the parent company of, of Bored Apes, right? It's not about the Bored Apes. It's about this promise that they're creating a platform with value through which they're going to be able to exploit other forms of content um, and, you know, uh, administer other transactions and, and so forth. Um, a new form of distribution, one might say. So, so you know, that's really the sort of the state of 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 of, of play. Um, you know, from an attorney's perspective, lots of rights issues. But from a um, from a you know sort of, uh, and I've seen a look. I've been around the block for for a, a, you know for a little while. This ain't my first rodeo. So I've seen this notion of 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 basically the the implied promise here and and one of some sometime one of them will come out and state this we want to create the digital disney if i had a dollar for every you know company that's that said something oh look okay, at the digital the, the disney for the, the for the digital era but the thing is it's really really hard to do that and most of those kinds of companies though not exclusively have done it through some manner of storytelling i think gaming and there's another route in the problem is it's really really hard to make good movies and tv shows and books and comic books and stories and it's really 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 hard to create good 
good games. And so there's an element of kind of luck there. I also do wonder, because part of the, the sort of the promise here is sort of utility and exclusivity, right? If I hold this particular NFT, then I get, you know, into this club, you know, um, essentially. I, I'm a little, I question that a little bit because like anything, you know, it's something's cool until it's not. Um, and then once it, and then once it, te- you know, once, once the, it kind of goes the other direction, it tends to, it tends to spiral very quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, it's, but it's interesting. I know. What do you think? <laughs> so many thoughts. This is, this is really interesting to hear. And, um, I, I too have been around the block a little bit around tech fads, of course. Um, one thing that's interested me a lot about NFTs in general is that, Okay, clearly right now we're in the overhype, giant scam, big explosion phase, right? Vast amounts of capital are being thrown at these things. Most of that will fail. I just accept that as a given. Like, like anyone who, who, who points that out to me with an accusing finger, I'm like, yeah, what do you, how do you think tech works? Um, the interesting thing to me is that um, if it, almost from a branding perspective overall, leading with the technology backbone that no one understands is a really weird thing. Like to me... We're, we're moving into an era where, you, where one way or another, in an ideal world, there's going to be better digital collectibles, which I think almost anyone can understand because I had trading cards when I was a kid. I was obsessed with them. I used to swap them on the playground. This is just like a digital version of that. Anyone who plays almost any sports game online knows about this. That makes sense to me. Trying to create a kind of idea brand around how a blockchain works, which immediately cuts out 99% of people, and then trying to put that forward and going, this new technology is going to somehow change the brand experience of this thing that we're trying to build from scratch. And magically, the game we're building will be a successful game because it has a blockchain behind it. Is cart before the horse, ass backwards, all that sort of stuff. And it's yeah, classic but let, tech I, stuff. But yeah, let but, me speak to this though, Colin, because I think yeah. this is this is this is key. Because not only that it's hard to understand the technology backbone, it's that it's it's actually for the layperson potentially hazardous right like one wrong yes. one wrong move and you've lost your tokens even if you're i've seen even sophisticated people saying they've been scammed and defrauded and everything else but to your question about why they lead with the why they lead with the technology platform it's because it's all they've got here yes. because because yes. the problem my my biggest question with a lot of these projects this includes the so-called nft restaurant this includes virtually anything with kind of a club component you know a lot of the gaming pieces as well there's one question okay why does it have to be on the blockchain and generally speaking they can't answer that oh okay so the notion is that it's you know it's a, a you know a virtual world and people can interact with each other and have a unique persona okay why does it have to be on the, on, on the blockchain um, it's a you know it's a it's a, a restaurant or a club or an experience and you have to be verified you know to own, hold this NFT to have access okay why does that have to be on the blockchain and you don't just have a register of like any yeah. membership type of type of club um, you know the gaming piece. Look, the music piece I kind of get a little bit because, you know, you could give out like exclusive, you know, you could sell exclusive records, collector's editions that come with utility, you know, VIP tickets, those kinds of things. And then the promise of the gaming piece, I guess, creating this kind of official gray market where you can transfer yeah. to things. But again, you don't have to be on the blockchain for that. You know, you could you Why? could create your own proprietary thing. So, but 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 the problem is, 
that's all they that's that's the differentiating cell factor and guess what it works presently it really works because there's a reason why they're le- leading with this NFT and this blockchain chain thing. And it's a, at the present time, it's extraordinarily easy to get capital yes, for that, projects, to get investment. That's, that's absolutely right. And, and, and to your point, I'm um, diving into technical for just a second. Um, a small innovation lab that I helped sponsor, um, we just wanted to build a blockchain. So we did a very small one. It was it was on the Hyperledger fabric, um, which no one will care but that that's a way to make a blockchain and just playing around with it just to get hands-on experience with it and the absolute number one conclusion that everyone comes to is why isn't this just a secure database um and there's of 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 all the things that you can do with a blockchain almost all of the use cases as you say are just why why not literally just make your own secure database it's the exact same thing and the one percent of use cases where there's actually a reason specifically to have a decentralized blockchain those are quite unusual and almost every use that you see in kind of NFT land at the moment, there is no reason, I agree. I can see a future and, and I, I can kind of intuitively imagine it, especially when I see people like DC Comics releasing essentially limited digital collectibles of certain Batman images or whatever and selling them. That makes inherent sense to me because it's an obvious comparison to what they've always done, right? There's always mm-hmm. been some kind of collectibles in entertainment because of the emotional value that people attach to things they care about. I do think that assuming that because something is collectible, you're going to care about it. Like, I might care about Batman. I might care about Batman enough that I would actually like to pay $20 for some kind of digital collectible of a certain Batman image. Great. I, I can see that happening. If you come to me and say, hey, this thing you've never heard of that looks a bit crap, you should care about this enough because it's a blockchain. Give me 20 bucks. I'm like, nah, sort of thing. I, I, but I do see this as this transitional phase where even though um, I think NFTs in particular spark vocal anger from gamers and game developers, I can see the future where there is some level of interoperability between games. This, um, I think game developers in particular tend to throw their toys at this point. The idea that this kind of fantasy at the moment where I'm playing Fortnite and I gain an item in Fortnite and then I go into Skyrim and I have the equivalent of that item because I actually own that item. The technical way to implement this is really fucking hard. Yep. Technically, you basically need some kind of giant SGML markup language that can carry a payload, which is way beyond anything. And anyone who says that they're doing this right now is absolutely, absolute fantasy land. But I can see um, in the future very large platforms merging where you can actually carry collectibles in between different games. And I think once you get into that space and you do have, as you say, this kind of secondary and gray markets, um, I can see a future where that works. But right now, a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said. Um, I think absolutely, like meaning is, you know, meaning is what creates, is what creates value. I think there's there's so there's already so much NFT product in the in the marketplace that you either have to really appreciate something aesthetically, it has to have some meaning to you, which comes often through some kind of emotional relationship that's pre-existing or story, or in certain instances, you know, there's this utility piece. But you know, there are I mean, from a lawyer legal perspective, there are securities ish issues, you know, there. Yeah. Yeah. I also agree that there are there are going to be you know there are going to be applications to this. I think once the hype kind of 
dies down i think there will be in it's interesting to me around the gaming piece because there is this incredibly visceral reaction to anybody floating the 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 even the slightest possibility that they might incorporate any kind of nft into their game or do an nft or anything else my own personal uh view and opinion as far as gaming goes and maybe some other areas is the technology will be implemented it'll be called something else Yes, you know, this is the branding like, piece. Yeah, yeah, it'll be you know, it, like nobody will there, there will be no mention of blockchain or NFT. It'll just be you know, it'll be called like smart items, and yes. uh, and you'll be and, and you'll get you know you'll buy uh, the next uh, you know Elder Scrolls you know or the second after that, and you'll get your smart items in there. And it's like oh, I love I love smart items. I hate NFTs, but these smart <laughs> items. Yeah, you know, and I think that there's there's probably a piece of that. There's a lot. You know, and we did, we look, and one of the things we've had a lot of conversations with clients about is how to communicate things with it, you know, within this. Because again, we're dealing with another really vocal, passionate community, and but you know, but we're dealing with the reality of having to uh, assist with things that might be based on pre-existing IP. We can't give people the right to to do whatever the heck they want with with a character that's been in existence for 80 years um but the point being what you do, what you really with that community what you really want to avoid is somebody going into the terms and being like guys it's it's a trick and then you know you have to be up you have to be open up front as to what you're as to what you're doing and why and what the limitations um are you know i think that there are it's it's really uh, you know to be generous at least 50 percent scams and, and criminals yes. at the moment um but you know but I, I i do think we'll see we'll see something and look from a from a, from a legal and intellectual perspective some of this stuff and the promise of it is is fascinating it's just there are too many people talking in broad terms and effectively you know who have glommed onto this term you know they're a marketer or whatever else and they're they're basically they're using it as their their new platform for their yes. career right this is i'm the nft person book me for conferences but then if you actually were to drill down on what they're saying it's really really difficult from a legal perspective i don't even know from a technical perspective i presume also difficult but from a, just from a rights perspective making that work um you know when you've got things like okay we're gonna have revenue participations going back and forth but this one's on chain this one's off chain you know and you're going to be able to transfer the participation okay that's a securities issue maybe but 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 also okay well everyone's anonymous so how do i pay you your merchandising participation but moreover if you anonymous person one transfer your nft three times removed and now this person controls it who do I, how do i know who to account to you know because i've got to pay in cash we're selling this merchandise in stores because you said you want to do t-shirts so it's 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 far trickier than people would would think but you know there are a lot of smart people working on it and it is something different and i do think that the promise um you know of a lot of these things is to kind of be able to self-fund and and cut out the middleman yeah. and, and look if you could if you know if you could indeed raise 50 million to make a movie via nfts and cut out you know netflix or whatever else well that solves the problem that we were talking about earlier it's a it's a really good point i i do think to your other point there's a sense where over time the really high-end talent speaking very broadly tends to go towards certain things um this very much happens in engineering one of the interesting things about blockchains as a very broad subject is 
a lot of very very smart people are actually interested in this and are looking at it the talent is in that space hmm. um to your point about really high-end creative talent across the board is the same thing they they may be a little slow sometimes but eventually almost by definition wherever the high-end talent goes that will tends to result in some kind of creative flowering and so um, at the moment, you do have a space in NFTs that is um, has some extraordinarily smart technical people working in it, creatively possibly dominated by not the top end. Yeah. But and look, at some point, you get that transformation. And it's funny you say about talent, because in my mind, when you say the word talent, I think about, you know, on screen uh, uh, talent. And of course, you know, the other piece that we've seen here is an awful lot of of celebrity you know, related things, you know, I think Kim Kardashian and Lindsay Lohan in the UK, uh, there's a, you know, a very loathsome former footballer by the name of John Terry, who has been um, announced, you know, who was, who effectively dropped or was affiliated with an NFT collection. And there was an article in the athletic that it went down um, 90% in value. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you know, talking about back on South by Southwest, I would nonetheless encourage some people to um, to read. So there's, there's, a, there's an actor by the name of Benjamin McKenzie, um, who, uh, if you uh, remember a show uh, uh, called The OC, uh, he played Ryan. He was the lead in that show, and so he has he has, funnily enough, become a an outspoken cri uh, uh, critic of. Um, of 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 the nfts but specifically how they you know this this practice of celebrities you know endorsing them uh you know to kind of make a quick buck so he's he's writing with a journalist named jacob silverman um and the book's coming out and i think it's it's interesting because he's seen kind of seen it from the inside you know granted he's not a like a brad pitt level star but he is somebody where people would approach him on a, you know, in this in this ecosystem on a daily basis, offer, you know, to have flog stuff. So, I I actually had a a, a fairly long conversation with him um, at South by Southwest about this, um, and it's interesting. He's he's informed. He's smart. I think his his father may well be. Um, if I'm correct, uh, like a securities attorney or something. Uh, so he's coming from that background. But that's the piece that 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 you know there's a lot of sort of potential but this notion of okay anytime i mean as, as as warren buffett would say you know anytime you have a circumstance where an insider is selling something to an outsider <laughs> that that tends not to be a good a good transaction but i think it's particularly yeah. acute in this thing where you know kim kardashian has a you know an nft i mean what's what's the word they use for it you know they, they pump up the pump and dump they pump up the value yeah. of it they sell it she's somehow incentivized everyone makes a bunch of, of money and and then that's not an investment you know that's there's no long-term value in that um it's it's a core issue that anyone who dips themselves into cryptocurrency especially needs to be across which is the actual dynamics of who holds the majority stakes in most of the large cryptocurrencies this is one of the things that for all the rhetoric about decentralization a very small number of people hold almost all the bitcoin and people really really need to be aware of exactly what you're talking about you you can make markets very easily if you are literally printing the resource and using your brand power to shape that whole thing. Um, to your very good point about talent, and it's a wonderful example of coming from slightly different worlds, um, not commenting at all about celebrity power, but I think of someone like Jonathan Nolan, who created Westworld um, along with Lisa Joy and is now involved, I believe, in making a Fallout TV show based on the game. Can't wait, yeah. Which they just added um, Ella Purnell from, um, yes. from Yellow Jackets. Um, 
when I think of really, 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 really high end talent in the sense that I'm meaning, I'm talking about people who really are plugged into um, the future of storytelling, making amazing things. Right now, Jonathan Nolan clearly recognizes that there is a shift towards gaming IP because he is making a Fallout TV show. At some point in the future, you might see people of Jonathan Nolan's caliber moving into some variation of NFT-based properties, at which point you could take that as a pretty clear weather signal, ah, right, this has arrived. Until that happens, you're, you're, you, you are in potential scam territory. And, and look, the other piece is, and is, is you have to, you know, I mean, I, I saw an article about this. You, I'm, you know, I'm perhaps overly cynical, but very few things that happen in the entertainment and media world happen completely organically. And so you have to look at the connections, right? The fact that CAA is, is, you know, is pushing this and, and, you know, signing some of these artists, you know, these, these, all these brands, which mean very little, but then who else does CAA also represent? Well, it represents Reese Witherspoon, I believe is married to a CAA agent, you know, it, it, you know, and then if you look, you know, and then very often, like one of the agencies affiliates might be invested in, you know, so all of these kinds of pieces are kind of moving in concert towards things. So, you know, I actually don't necessarily agree because talent, there are plenty of, there's plenty of creative talent that will just attach itself to something for a speculative way or for, or for money or of whatever else and, I, and, I, and i've seen it and you know there's a money talks and very often with these things there's like a level of legitimacy that people want to attach and a great way to uh, you know to try to attach legitimacy to an entertainment project is to overpay and bring on the producer of x onto something and you know very often nothing the project never gets never gets um made um but you know look if you were a producer, a writer, and you um, and you were involved in the creation of this, and you and you held some of this this proprietary cryptocurrency or token or whatever else, you couldn't make far more money than you you know than you can traditional entertainment, you know far more. So you're going to see it happen. Now, the business managers and the accountants are going to have a challenge, right? Because they're going to have to make sure their clients pay taxes on all of those on all of those pieces, right? I mean, I imagine like Snoop Dogg's uh, accountant, um, you know, is, is, is probably one of the best accountants in the world because he's got so many different interests and so on and so forth in this space. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if it, if it necessarily, you know, goes to... And, and again, like... To me, the notion of a of a of a TV show or or a movie based on bored apes. I mean, I could just you know, I, you just as well might 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 make a movie or a TV show based on the 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 doodles of a twelve year old. You know, just anyone in the world. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. You know, there for me other than the fact that 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 it's an NFT. <laughs> well, it's it's very incisive, and yes, one of the one of the most repeated refrains in entertainment, there, there is no there there. And it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what exactly is there. Um, as we finish up, and thank you very much for this, one big question that I have, which which I I see you do a lot online in, in really generous ways, and I'm, and I'm fascinated by it. Um, you've reached a really interesting place within the industries that you work. You are highly respected, obviously. You give excellent advice. Um, how can young creators and advisors who are coming into this mad landscape we've been talking about it 
what would you tell them in terms of starting to chart a course through the next five, 10 years as, as they enter this, this madness? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's actually a really hard question to, to answer. And I, and I, I it was interesting. I, I went on, um, Jeff Gomez's uh, podcast two or three weeks ago with Jeff and, and Alan Berkson. And, and, you know, Jeff's been very involved in my career, at, you know, and, and referred me to my current firm and, and, and these kinds of things. And, you know, it was just I, what I was telling him was I was very involved as a sort of like a contributor and, and writing articles and so forth and become, you know, like a decade ago. And then, you know, I went to a law firm and, and for five or six years at least, I just worked. Work, work, work. Anything I was given, I, I did. They said jump. I said how high. I really learned my craft as, as, as a lawyer. And then as I kind of became a partner, it's really only in the last couple of years and specifically during the pandemic, I've started to kind of, you know, you know, write and, and, and do sort of more of that thought leadership stuff and that kind of, of guidance. And so it's kind of, a, I think it's a, a path that everybody has to chart for them, for themselves. Um, the... I mean, certainly from a big picture perspective, you have to think think about the audience. If, that, if you want to be in entertainment, I think you've got to think about the audience and the consumer. What you know, how are they spending their their time? I think that's absolutely critical because that will govern you know things. Um, I don't think you can. There's nothing wrong with wanting to work in the movie business, but I don't think it from a career perspective. It's it's smart to adhere to sort of a nostalgic view of what the the entertainment business is you know because you grew up watching movies and you know was enamored i grew up watching movies and was enamored by them but you know so so looking forward you know whether that means nfts whether that means you know sort of other virtual worlds whether it whether it means gaming you know and, and reading about and, ed and educating yourself for sure i think nonetheless it's really great to have a foundation of the of the basics. So you know, there are the, I have a reading list online, and it has a combination of legal and non-legal books. But you know, things like you know, like Disney War. You know, reading about sort of how the conglomerates came together, the rise and fall of Blockbuster, the rise and fall of Netflix, the the CAA book. You know, all of these kinds of pieces, I think, and kind of you know, creating having an education so you have that foundation. Here's where we work with heart where we were, where we are, and here's where we might go. And then in terms of forging a career path, you know, beyond that, it's really, it's, it's fascinating and it's really difficult because on the one hand, I think if you can find the right space in the right, you know, sort of area, you can carve a niche for yourself. You know, the, if you look at the, you know, the people who are, you know, quote unquote thought leaders in, F in NFTs, one thing that co is common to them is that 95% of them had never used the word NFT 18 months ago, right? So they were able to get into that space. Of course, there are like the, you know, the, the blockchain experts. Um, and so you can forge a path and you can find things. And there's a reason why, if you look at the talent agencies, if you look at UTA and WME and CAA, uh, and even the sort of the smaller upstarts, the talent agents for digital and influencers and so forth, at their oldest in their you know in the sort of their their early 30s a lot of them are, are in their are in their 20s right because and you look if you look at read deadline and you see like who got promoted to to agent um you know most of them will be in gaming and digital and things like that 
Uh, and then you know the person in the lit group or the talent group might have a longer path because there's there's somebody sitting there in that seat who's 55 years old, and so you know th- there's an opportunity to, to sort of to, to 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 do that. But at the same time, and this is where I'm going to get a little bit. Um, this is buried right at the bottom, back of the podcast, so maybe I'm safe in saying this. But I do think that there's a generational thing, which is, you know, if you're kind of coming into the career, into into the industry now, any industry, I think that partly because of the market and partly because of, you know, just the generation and its habits, there's this, there is this feeling of, of underestimating what you have to do. And my biggest thing is to do the work. Do the work. If in doubt, if you don't know what to do, do the work. If if you don't, if you're a little lost, do the work. Work more. You know, expose yourself to more things. Take ownership. Take accountability. And you know that that to me is what really um, builds a long-term career. And I do think there's a kind of mentality in general, and it's not surprising given the way everything in the world is on demand. That you know that. Um, that you know to think that that things come instantaneously and i don't think of myself in any way shape or form as kind of the finished article i feel myself i'm still more or less at the start of the journey um you know there's still a lot more sort of ahead clearly but you know if you look at my career and you just view it down like you know a list of, of of years worked and then look at linkedin articles and whatever else what that doesn't show you are quite literally the thousands of hours that I have spent sitting on a partner's couch waiting for them to review a document so that they can give me their hand comments and I can put them in before finally being allowed to go home at you know 8:30 you know the weekends going into the office and 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 working on on things being the first into the office waking up every day and thinking about you know things about you know this past Friday night when when I was in the middle of watching uh, Death on the Nile with my parents and a client said can you call me and I called them at 9 9:30 p.m. started drafting a document at, at 10:30 p.m. so so these kinds of things so you know you've got to think about opportunity you've got to be smart it's not just about hard work it's about you know it's about viewing opportunity and it's about being smart of course all of these things um but it's un- but it's underpinned bit with hard work and what i would also say is whatever your industry look for people who can be mentors and who whose example you can you can follow and and whose habits you can kind of replicate and you know look that ideally that's somebody within your company but it could be somebody that you know is a fellow alum or is somebody that you encountered on linkedin or whatever else uh you know and i certainly had people you know within the firm and then outside that I kind of picked what I liked from their particular, you know, professional habits. But then I also, you know, I, I read a tremendous amount. I read every single book on the entertainment business that I could find. And then what I would do is I would get to the end of the, the book and it would say, have a list of sources. And I would often go and read those books or I'd go into Amazon. It would say, people who read this book also read this, read all of those as well. And then I looked at and I studied the habits and I looked at the people, you know, and look, you know, this says a lot. I mean, I think maybe from an ambition perspective, you know, I've kind of mellowed in certain respects. But when I looked at people like, you know, like like Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Geffen and Ted Turner and, you know, some of the Redstone and these people like these like and I was like, that's what I want to be. And I would like read these. And of course, it's a mythologized 
version of, of what they're actual, you know, but, but that's kind of what I, what I aspire to. Um, and, you know, I would say, I would say that, that there's something to that, you know, there's something to that about learning the principles of hard work and, and how to do something. And then once you've got that thinking, okay, now how can I differentiate myself a little bit? Um, and it's tricky, you know, it's tricky because I think in this, in this era, there's such a kind of a, a, a feeling of, 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 you know, employers. And I think this is well-earned right in the United States, but this feeling of like employers, oh, they're just, they just, you know, I'm just fungible. They want to take advantage of me. You know, the reason they want me in the office is because they want to control me and all these kinds of pieces. And there's some legitimacy to, to that. Um, but I, the funny thing is I always in a way viewed myself as working for, for myself and tried to view it from the perspective of whatever I was doing, even if it was like, you know, very stressful and I was, you know, completely given, you know, all these instructions, things that I, I tried to position it, okay, what am I taking from this? What am I, I learning from this, you know? Um, and I think that that's, that that's important. And, and, and look, that's, that uh, work is the foundation of everything and, and showing up, you know, you, you walk into a room and you, and, um, and you say, you know, who wants to be an entertainment lawyer? And a few people hold that, raise their hands, but who actually wants to show up and, and, and do it and, and be the, be the first person into the office and, and the last to leave and to take the call, you know, when, when nobody else, you know, wants to, and to think about the client, um, you know, uh, issues first thing in the morning and to manage through these difficulties. So, you know, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, it's it's tricky, but but we are living in probably the one of the most exciting times in the history of, of media. Things are moving so quickly, and there's a massive amount of opportunity, and that's you know I think that's a wonderful thing. What a, what an excellent and powerful set of advice to to finish on. Thank you so much, Simon Fullman. As always, this has been a mad and wonderful conversation, and I deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Well, sir. you know what? It's funny because because what I really should say it's about resilience and you know it's about persevering, which frankly applies to a career and also trying to beat the boss in Elden Ring. So there you go. <laughs> it's all Bring it full, Ring, full, full cycle. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, we'll stop recording and then we'll chat more about Elden Ring after after the session. Thank you very much. Thank sir. you. Tempest Bay wouldn't be possible without the amazing support of everyone involved, including you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and consider leaving a review. This helps us out a lot. For more, please go to projecttempest.net for access to the videos, art, podcast, award-winning stories, and much more. That's projecttempest.net. See you next time in Tempest Bay.